Hey everyone, you're listening to Super Women. Today's guest is Fadia Kader. Fadia Kader is no stranger to the world of social media. She's built a reputation as a dot connector and trend forecaster, creating high impact strategies for platforms at the intersection of tech, music, media, and culture. From her role as head of senior music partnership lead at Twitter, to her position as the strategic music partnerships lead at Instagram, she's worked with some of the biggest names in social media. Now, Cater has taken her talents to Clubhouse as the global head of strategic and media partnerships. Clubhouse is the audio-based platform that allows users to gather in virtual rooms and engage in live conversations about everything from fintech to fashion trends and is one of the fastest growing social media apps. Take a listen. Fadia, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. It's so great to be here. I've been looking forward to speaking with you. I'm a big fan. Ah, oh, thanks. Well, when I saw the email come in, I was excited to talk to you because I I feel like I wasn't the earliest Clubhouse adopter, but I I definitely enjoyed and enjoy my time on it. So was fascinated to be able to have a conversation with you today. It's, it's definitely a fascinating platform to say the least. <laughs> <laughs> so let's start earlier than Clubhouse. Let's go back. You're a music industry veteran. You won Billboard's in 2020, Women in Music and 40 Under 40 on the Fortune list. So what made you make the switch from music to media and basically platforms that talk? Well, actually, Rebecca, I've always been in the media space. It's just music has been the intersection of digital and media for me. Actually, fun fact, prior to media and music, I was in the fashion industry. Oh, wow. Doing what? Yeah, I was a personal stylist and personal shopper at first. That's what I started in. Then I went to school for fashion merchandising and marketing. I became a buyer for multiple celebrities like who owned boutiques in the local Atlanta area. That's how I became familiar with your brand back in 2006 or seven. I used to go to many trade shows and Rebecca Minkoff bags were like the it girl item. Um, oh my for God, us. that's crazy. <laughs> So I started in fashion, but in doing fashion and being a personal stylist and whatnot, I met a lot of people in the music industry. And one time a friend of mine just, you know, in a conversation, she was like, you'd make a great manager. And just being young and naive, I was like, yeah, I'll do music management and dove right into it, not having any understanding of it whatsoever. But the blessing for me has always been that I've always been extremely an early adopter to platforms, i.e. Clubhouse is a prime example. But back in the day, I was one of the first on MySpace, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, the list goes on and on. And I always used digital and media as a way to kind of connect the dots, you know, especially as I dove more and more into music. So I've always been at the forefront at the intersection of music and digital media and traditional media from my time in the fashion industry and going into music management, I actually then went into traditional media, a complex magazine, and kind of hopped around. But we'll we'll get to that in a bit. <laughs> so <laughs> it's a compl- it's a complicated history. Like I'm kind of like a Swiss Army knife is the best way I would put it. I love that. That's a great way to put it. When you see the ability for these social networks, like you said, you're an early adopter you know, how do you know when something is right, when it's wrong, when it's going to do well, when it's going to tank? Like, 
you know, in the way that people are like, how do you know yellow is going to be the summer, you know, whatever the color for next summer. Mm -hmm. What do you think it is? Is it an innate skill you have or things that you've learned over time to really recognize the next bout? Because you guys have had incredible collaborations and adoption with Snoop Dogg and Oprah and Nicki Minaj and so many more. So I, I credit that actually to my education in the fashion industry. I really, really hyper-focus on trend forecasting and I applied that in my career. So everything I learned in you know fashion and trend forecasting, I just simply flipped it and applied it to music, to culture, to community, to technology, to digital media and publishing. So, you know, what it is about trend forecasting is it's emotional intelligence. How can you emotionally market to someone? And I'll use Clubhouse as an example. At the time, I was an executive at Instagram leading efforts on the music front. And I was invited by a good friend, John Mayer, to the platform, to Clubhouse. And I just recalled the instant like feeling I felt hearing old friends' voices that I haven't heard in years. And I knew there was something special. And that same feeling that I had is the same feeling when I posted my first photo on a platform called Instagram with a really crappy filter and being like, oh, wow, like I have this moment with me forever now. <laughs> you know, so it's, it, I think it all goes back to like the, the emotion that it brings out in you and also seeing like on the business front, what is missing in the market? You know, we've had words via Twitter. We've had video and photos via Instagram and TikTok and Snapchat, but we haven't had audio in a way that has been intimate. And that's what Clubhouse, you know, offered to the social platform zeitgeist and what was missing in the market. I think what I loved early on about Clubhouse, like when, when I discovered Clubhouse was, you know, very few people could post on Instagram without getting shat on. Like, this is a global pandemic. How dare you be on a beach? (laughs) And, and, you know, but you, but you could listen to a podcast or you could listen to people on clubhouse, which I thought was really refreshing to hear all the incredible thought leadership that, you know, surrounded the platform. What would you say, you know, has been the biggest challenge in adapting to these new platforms as you have been at them? I think the biggest challenge for me personally is always being ahead of the curve. It's a blessing and a curse, right? Yeah. It's a blessing because you just know innately, like this is it. This is the future. This is where we're going. This is something that is going to add value. But the curse is that you know, the time that it takes to bring people along, (laughs) you know, like the constant education, the constant reminders and the constant learned behavior that has to be applied, which is not like when I say curse, it's not like bad. It's just, I'm an extremely passionate person. And like, when I know something is it, I'm just like, how do you not see this? How can I get you there with me right now and faster? Do you feel like it's really frustrating when you are you do something too soon? Like we had a number of initiatives, whether it was RFID tags or how we had our store, you know, set up technology wise. That you know, we had QR codes in our bags four years ago, and people were like, "Why would you ever do that?" And now that's how we order everything, right? Do you do you ever experience the like, "Oh, why didn't I wait till more people were on this bandwagon?" Never. Never because why (laughs) uh, never because like the blueprint is there, 
Like Rebecca, you started that trend with the QR codes in the bags, right? You applied technology and met it at the intersection of fashion at the same time. Do you regret it? I don't regret it, but it was a waste of time and resources because it didn't yield results that we wanted, which now, you know, could be incredible. Mm-hmm. So I think it's it's not regret. It's more like, oh, all that effort and blah, blah, blah we put into this. If we had waited till there was a global pandemic, look how great it would be, you know? <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I guess like maybe from a fashion and a product standpoint, that might be different. Yeah. But I think in the line of work that I'm in, you know, back in the day when I did Drake's first sold out show ever as a concert promoter, I was the one that convinced him and his team to get on Twitter so he could promote his show. You know, I don't regret that. Like that was great at the moment. Nobody understood it, you know, but now like it's, it's something as a proof of concept that I can always go back to. And it's something that has gained me that confidence in my instinctive trend forecasting that I talked about. Like I'm really passionate about like trusting your intuition as well. If my intuition leads me and tells me that, you know, this is the right path and you're doing this right. And it's taking a bit longer for people to catch on. It's okay. Like it it doesn't frustrate me at all. Not in that sense. So having navigated, you know, the music industry now, you know, more, more social media industry, have you experienced challenges? And maybe the answer is no. And I always love it when the answer is no. And then I'll ask you the next question. You know, as a woman, particularly, you know, women of color, have you experienced hardship in rising to where you got to today? And what did you do to sort of stick your neck out and buck the system? Mm-hmm. I think for me personally, the hardship that I've experienced has always been self inflicted. Because I worked for myself for the first eight years of my career. And it was, you know, the biggest mistake I say I would have, I've made in my career early on is not really, is being quick to learn and adapt, but not always asking for help. Mm. And when you're not asking for help, in what ways would you not ask for help? Yeah. And not asking for help from peers, not asking for help by having a proper mentor. Like for me, I went to school, but I never interned. I convinced big boy's wife from Outcast to give me a job at her high-end boutique in Atlanta as the creative director and buyer while I was still in school, (laughs) you know? So like, that was like my training on the job and internship. And I was my own mentor. So like, I, you know, that was the hardship that I inflicted on myself. Like, Early on, I just was a go-getter and I was just wanting to teach myself as opposed to like looking at the network around me and tapping in. And I feel like had I tapped in earlier into like the resources that honestly were probably available to me back, back then, but I was just too busy focused on what I was doing in the moment and learning it on my own. Yeah. I identify with that a lot. I think early on, I was like, I'll just do everything myself. And you run out of ability to do that as you want to scale. Exactly. So what do you feel is next? You know, what is next for Clubhouse? How do you see transforming that? You know, we see these crazy peaks and valleys with Meta or, you know, other platforms that have matured and Clubhouse is far from maturing. And what do you see that's next for you guys? And how do you continue to stay relevant? You know, the most important thing is that we've always been the, you know, 
first at market when it comes to social audio. So it's kind of like when you think of social audio, you immediately think of Clubhouse, regardless of anyone else, you know, attempting to recreate the magic or thinking it's easy to create a social audio feature. It doesn't matter without community. It does not exist. So when it comes to Clubhouse for us, our community and our creators are the most important thing. And we're really, really excited because we have some really, really exciting features launching like houses. It's already been talked about. So, you know, by the time this comes out, obviously it will be out there. But these are the things that we are focused on is how can we actually help community and creators and maintain the community that we have. We have a very, very active social and passionate community on Clubhouse. And our number one job is to make sure that we're continuing to build a product that is servicing them. And that's not easy to build. You can't build community overnight. That's something that you earn through trust and through experience. So, you know... What what comes to Clubhouse for us is just continuing to build, continuing to iterate on what we know is being wanted from us, from the community directly. So correct me if I'm wrong, but you strike me as someone who is fueled by their work. Uh, (laughs) Mm -hmm. What do you do to disconnect and revive yourself and refresh? And how do you avoid, you know, falling into maybe prior traps where you Mm-hmm. You didn't ask for help and you and you did it all yourself. Yeah. About eight years ago, I I feel like I'm on a cycle. Like every seven to eight years, I experience burnout because like you said, I definitely dive right in. About eight years ago, I was working in traditional media and doing honestly the job of 27 people. Like at that company now, I was one person, but now they have 27 people in one department handling the one role that I had. And I remember like I had accumulated so much PTO time, Rebecca, like I think we only had 14 days PTO, but I, I accumulated over eight weeks of PTO that I was forced to take at one time legally. And I went to India and did like this eat, pray, love trip. And the words protect your magic just kept coming up for me. Like I just kept journaling and the word protect and like magic kept coming up over and over and over again. And I kept saying those three words. And by the time I came back from my sabbatical, I quit that job, jumped into another, started, you know, I had ended a really toxic relationship, but then a year later met my husband, you know, and it, it was all those three words for me. You know, those three words were so important at that stage of my life. And it changed the trajectory of my life and my career, you know, personally and professionally. So constantly reminding myself of that. And actually like in 2014 and 15, I went on to like, you know, trademark that phrase and like push it out into the world to help other, especially women, like, look, you are magic, you have resources, you have things and you have to protect yourself. It doesn't mean you don't share your magic, but you protect your magic. And with that, you know, like I spent the last couple of seven years, like really diving in, protecting my magic, but not like, I feel like every year just dimmed a little bit more up until this year, like three weeks ago, I took a much needed PTO because I haven't had PTO since 2019. I hit the pandemic with, you know, music and Instagram. 
I was part of the whole versus phenomenon, the lives that were happening, DJ D nice. And then I went straight from the height of Instagram music during the pandemic, straight into the madness that is clubhouse during the pandemic at its height. So I never took time for myself in between since 2019. And then like about a month and a half, two months ago, I was just like, I'm done. I'm burnt out. I have not been protecting my magic. And that's the beauty of working at a place like Clubhouse and being able to talk to Paul and Rohan, the founders, and just telling them, like, my brain is mush. There's nothing else I can offer right now. And they were just like, please take the time that you need. And being able to take that time the last three weeks has really, like, re-energized me fully. So, you know, I think I go hard, 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 and then I take extensive time off. But I need to learn how to take it in like spurts and remind myself that it's a marathon. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker. You'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's, it's ironic that you said you had eight weeks of PTO because at one point every year, there were several years in a row where I would count how many vacation days I didn't use. And I was just like, what the hell is wrong with me? Like, it's my freaking company and I'm not even taking these? Like, what is going on? And after that year, I just made a vow, like, I am maxing this shit out. Like, Mm-hmm. Or else, or else, I'm crazy. There, there's got to be a perk to being a founder or an executive, and that's taking a vacation. And it also like sets a bad example, right? Oh, for because sure. Because yeah. everybody else then is like, "Well, damn, Fadia's not taking time off, so I got to work harder." But then here I am begging them to take time off, and yet I've never taken time off. So you lead by example. That's that's all I can say about that. Totally agreed. So speaking of personal life, when you do allow yourself to have one, what helps you refresh and reset outside of the vacations? You know, like where do you turn to when you want to Mm -hmm. disconnect? Yeah, I'm pretty much the most anti-social, social individual you'll probably ever meet. Okay. And I really love my solitude. I think that comes from years of being, you know, working in an industry where you talk 
all day, every day to anyone and everyone. And then you're a party promoter and then a concert promoter. And then here I am working in the music industry and executives and artists that I have to deal with and schmooze with all day. And even now working at a platform where your, your voice is your, is your toolbox, you know? So for me personally, I mean, recently I left Los Angeles. That was really important for me and my family. We moved back South, uh, we moved to Nashville, Tennessee, nice. which has been, yeah, one of the best experiences. And I'm kind of revisiting, like I say all the time, I mean, I grew up between Tennessee and Atlanta and moving back to Nashville has been so therapeutic. It's been such a privilege to be able to go back and get closure on things that, you know, I didn't have closure on from being a young woman in my teens or early twenties and living here, you know, or being able to learn how to laugh in the places I cried, if that makes sense. So that's been an honor and a privilege to come back down South and do that. And when I'm not, you know, traveling and doing things like that, I'm a big estate sale girl. Ooh, I love that. Yes, I am a mat like I, I, and I've always been that way since I was a teenager, but moving to New York and LA, it's just not fun estate sailing in the cities yeah. because like it's ran, th- it's horrible. Like you have to go outside of the cities. So like coming back South and going and getting back into that habit and like going estate sailing and standing in line with like a bunch of 60 to 80 year old women that are retired and just like, that's what they do now. It's fun for me. And being able to like collect things again that, you know, are just not a replication of everything else that is out here. Like everybody has the same couch. Everybody has the same table. You know, if they saw it on Instagram, they shopped it on Instagram, but being able to find unique pieces and make our home feel unique to our personality is really important to me. So that's what I've been on lately. I love that. You know, one of the questions I ask at the end of every podcast is what would we be surprised to know about you? And I'm assuming that might be your answer because I never, I never would have known you'd be a big estate sale, but I love it. Well, I'll, I'll one up that I'm actually a chef. Let's talk about the chef. I love that. (laughs) Yeah, I got into, I've always loved to cook and like, you know, thanks to Instagram, take really cute photos. This is pre like avocado toast photo craze, right? Mm -hmm. Early 2000, like my early, early feed was all like cute pictures of food. And I've always just been fascinated with food photography and food styling. So I became like this home cook that did a lot of stuff on Snapchat, self-taught, And at one point I just made the decision in 2015, I was like, you know what, I'm going to quit the music industry and I'm going to go to culinary school and just travel the world. And, you know, I applied for culinary school, got accepted. At the time I was working at Twitter, leading music, a specific genre of music, and I got accepted. But at the same time, I also got offered a role at Instagram, which to me was my dream job at that point in my career. So I accepted the role and I accepted my, you know, my, my school (laughs) admission and was going to Instagram, was going to culinary school on the weekends while I was an executive at Instagram Monday through Friday. Oh my God. Talk about burning the candle at both ends. That's nuts. Yes. Yes. So 
I did an accelerated program at the Institute of Culinary Education in Manhattan, and I am a certified chef. So with that, is there the pressure when you get home, hey, babe, make me a fantastic meal? All the time. But (laughs) funny enough, my husband actually thinks I cook better before culinary school. Wow. (laughs) That's his opinion. It's just, I think for him, like I was experimenting so much with different flavors and he's just that kind of guy. But what culinary school teaches you is discipline. It teaches you how to go down to the basics and perfect them in a way. Like you can cook something amazing with just salt, pepper, and olive oil. You don't need anything else. But if you know the technique and you know how to make something right, it can taste absolutely amazing. Like you've had a million seasonings on it. You know, I do. I learned that so, with chicken. I was like, wait, just a lot more pepper makes a huge difference. Yeah, that's sometimes that's all it takes. And if you want to get spicy, add a little bit of smoked paprika. Mm, I like it. So before I ask you my final two questions, being that you are such an incredible visionary and you are obviously leading and steering lots of different in the past companies for my female listeners, you know, what is something they should know and understand as they're engaging on their careers to help them succeed, whether it's getting out of their own way or asking for help, whatever it is that you've learned now that you're sort of not on the other side, but at the top of your game. I think it's two parts, if you don't mind. Yeah. Right. Yeah. First being that, you know, try anything and everything. You know, I think there's this old saying that, you know, stick to one thing and perfect it. And I've never, I, I just don't believe in that. I feel like we have, we are multidimensional humans. We have many interests. We are able to, if we really want to, like experience different things that bring us joy in our careers. And that's okay. Like we don't live in a world where now we're working at a job for 30 years. That's just not the reality. So the younger that you are and you're trying to explore what you want to do in your career, you know, don't just intern, volunteer, go out there, find random jobs that apply to your interests. And if it's not something that you're interested in, at least, you know, and you can walk away from it. And with that said, once you now have entered the workforce, I think the biggest lesson that I'm grateful that I learned early on in my career as a young woman is that, you know, leaving something, especially for those that are always ahead of the curve, leaving something and stopping it, just pausing it, you know, maybe in that moment in your career, you're just too ahead of the curve on this and people have not caught on yet. Maybe like that does not mean it's a sign of failure and don't look at it as something that people are going to be like, Oh, there goes Fadia. She failed at this. Like, no, Fadia stopped this and she's moving on to the next thing. And then like, if you need to, you'll come back to it. And maybe you need to come back to it when you've developed a certain skill set. You know, maybe that you haven't developed that skill set yet. And I'm a prime example of that. Like when I applied to the to my Twitter position, I applied to it before and I got told no. So the second time I got the role, same thing with Instagram. I applied for a role at Instagram. I got told no. I developed certain skill sets. The second time I applied, a year and a half later, I got the position. So I think that that's really important is don't look at something as a failure if you have to stop and pause. I love that. So you've already answered one of my last questions, which is what would we be surprised to know about you? Do you have any final words of advice 
that you want to share? Yeah. I mean, I think we've talked a lot about these things, but the main thing is that I'm getting back to protecting my magic again. Mm -hmm. You know, for a minute, I feel like I lost myself and, you know, I think that's important to just take a pause, take a beat, take a beat, you know? Do you have signals or checkpoints that you now have developed? Like, Ooh, it's time. Gotta, gotta protect. A hundred percent. Like if I'm feeling like I'm overextending myself, if somebody, if it's for me personally, it's never hard for me to say no, you know? And then, but there comes a time from time to time where it's like, I'm overextending myself and I'm not saying no for my time. So my signal is like when I look at my schedule and it's absolutely filled back to back with phone calls, meetings and Zooms and whatnot. And I'm like, where's the me time in this? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and I, I'm a firm believer that, you know, the work-life balance, you know, mantra is a myth. I, I believe in flexibility. I think that's the most important part. Like seek flexibility and everything else will fall in place is where I would leave at that. Gosh, you have so many good nuggets. I want them all to be my audiograms when, <laughs> when we do the quote. <laughs> so good. Well, thank you. I'm again in deep awe of everything you do. And I, I listen to Clubhouse often as I'm laying the kids down. So that that's my time. That's my clubhouse hour is the kids are going to bed and, and I got the headphone in. So thank you for providing me with not being bored as <laughs> as I lay there. I'm glad that we're able to give you those moments. Yes. <laughs> well, thank you so much. Thank you, Rebecca. I just wanted to thank you guys for listening to today's episode. I also want to ask you to rate and review the show wherever you listen to podcasts. I know it's a pain in the butt, but it actually helps with search and algorithms. So if you love this podcast, it is an easy way to get it more visible and out there. I also want you to follow me on Instagram at Rebecca Minkoff at RM Superwomen and be sure to check out my book, Fearless, The New Rules for Unlocking Creativity, Courage, and Success. Thank you again, and you will hear from me next week.